సుఖదం కేవలం జ్ఞానమూర్తి దందాతీతం గగన సదృశం తత్వమిశ్రాదిలాక్షం ఏకం నిత్యం వినలమచలం సర్వధీ సాక్షిభూతం భావాతీతం త్రిగుణరహితం సద్గురుమామి we salute the leader of our soul through whose grace our ignorance is dispelled whose nature is that of absolute reality who is the giver of all peace and happiness who is the embodiment of knowledge and liberation who is beyond good and evil pain and pleasure life and death and all pairs of opposites who is all pervading like the sky who is the one goal of our spiritual aspiration who is one without a second eternal immutable stainless and pure who is the constant witness of the changing phenomena of the universe may we through his grace see what is noble and uplifting may we through his grace hear what is pure and spiritual may we through his grace go beyond darkness and illusion and realize truth in this life peace 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 be unto us and to all living beings i shall read to you a few lines from the gospel of sri ramakrishna according to some schools there is an eternal krishna and there are also his eternal devotees krishna is the embodiment of spirit and his abode also is spirit embodied krishna is eternal and devotees are also eternal krishna and the devotees are like the moon and the stars always near each other i intend to speak to you this morning on the life and message universal message of sri krishna well as you know sri krishna is the teacher in the bhagavad gita now he is the most popular among the god men of hinduism he is worshiped by in india by countless millions of hindus he has been worshiped for the past 3000 years he has been accepted as the spiritual ideal of men and women monks and householders active people lovers of god and yogis the philosophers all have found in krishna the fulfillment of their spiritual ideal sri krishna is the teacher of karma yoga work as a spiritual discipline described in the bhagavad gita and also he is the teacher of the discipline of love divine love which has been described in another indian religious classics called the bhagavatam 
no other divine manifestation has received so much universal homage in India as Sri Krishna. His life and his teachings had been preserved through songs, dramas, epics, art and sculptures. When you read the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, you will find there are innumerable songs which Sri Ramakrishna loved to hear and he himself sang, well, related to Sri Krishna. Even after 3,000 years, those songs, those stories are as fresh as they were before. Mahatma Gandhi, even during his intense political struggle in India, the struggle for India's freedom, Mahatma Gandhi made it a rule to recite every day from the Bhagavad Gita. Sri Ramakrishna used to say that the monk has renounced the world, all material possessions, but a monk carries with him a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. I shall give you a short account of his wonderful life. Perhaps it is all legendary. Well, royal blood flowed in Krishna's veins. His mother was the sister of the king of Mathura, a town in northern India. Now his name was Kangsha. That was his mother's brother. Now this Kangsha, Krishna's uncle, was the personification of wickedness, cruelty, and greed. His parents, Vasudeva and Devaki, father was Vasudeva, mother was Devaki, were God-fearing people. Otherwise, a God-man like Krishna, I suppose, could not take his birth in that family. Well, immediately after the wedding, Kangsha, his uncle, was driving in a chariot his sister and brother-in-law to their palace. Then he heard a heavenly voice saying to Kangsha that the eighth child born of your sister will be a boy and he will be your slayer, he will kill you. Well, Kongsha was frightened and also he was angered, he was enraged. He drove his sister and brother-in-law to his own palace and kept them a prisoner in a dungeon, watched day and night by armed sentries. And the father and mother also were heavily shackled, were chained. Well, one by one, seven children were born of Devaki. Well, the first six children were killed by Kangsha, and the seventh child was smuggled into another village. And the king was told that he was born dead. Now, the great event arrived. Parents expectantly awaited the birth of the savior and the deliverer of people from the oppression of the tyrant.
conscious saw many evil omens. So he doubled the sentries of the dungeon. He took every precaution that the child might not escape. It was a stormy night, dark, rainy night. As the child was born, a heavenly voice asked Vasudeva, the father, to take the baby across the river Jumna to the other side, to a coward village named Gokula. A miracle happened. I suppose miracles happen when God men are born. The chains fell off. You see, fell from Vasudeva's feet. He was heavily shackled. And the doors, bolts of the door slipped. And the heavy gate, heavy gates were swung open. Vasudeva safely crossed the river. It is said, even the river parted. It's a very beautiful story. This story is sung in many, many songs, even today, everywhere in India. He crossed the river and came to the other side to the village of Gokula. He exchanged this boy for a girl that was born in that village and brought him back. Kongsho was frustrated to see that it was a girl. He was told that it would be a boy and boy would be his killer. And he ordered all the babies of Gokula and Mothura to be slaughtered, something like Herod had done after the birth of Christ. Krishna began to grow up at the home of his foster parents who were coward people. They used to tend cows. He was a very mischievous child, very mischievous child. These episodes, I, I cannot convey to you the spirit behind these stories because, uh, I mean, when you go to India and you hear thousands and thousands of people singing daily sweet songs describing these episodes. Now, Krishna began to grow up in the house of his foster parents. He was a mischievous child. His favorite pastime was to steal the butter, the curds, milk, and cream from the homes of the other, other coward people. Well, ladies liked his wild pranks, but mother was worried. Mother thought perhaps the boy would grow into a thief, and she became very worried. Well, one day, when he stole some cream from the house of a coward, well, mother became very angry and wanted to tie him with a string just to punish him. And lo and behold, she used years and years and years of tie, but not long enough to bind Krishna. Not long enough. Well, you know, you cannot tie God by ordinary string. God can be tied with no only one thing, the string of devotee's love. Another day, Krishna out of mischief, he ate some earth, as children do, babies do. And mother said, you naughty boy, I'll punish you. First open your mouth and let me take down this earth. And he opened the mouth and what did she see? The whole universe inside his mouth. 
the sun, moon, stars, planets, everything inside the moon, the whole universe. Well, of course, she was absolutely dazed. She began to praise Krishna with a hymn. And then Maya, delusion, put a veil before her eyes, and the boy again became a normal child. Now, Kongshus sent many monsters to destroy Krishna. But Krishna, just a playful moon, killed them all. Now, Krishna was seven years old. She was still growing on the other side of the Jumna in the village of Gokula, in the house of the foster parents. Then, when he was seven years old, the foster parents moved to Brindavan, just across the river. There, Krishna grew up. Here, a new chapter of Krishna's life opened up. Well, gradually, a great, this chapter of Krishna's life in Vrindavan, seven-year-old boy, is cherished, greatly cherished, by his devotees all over India. Well, he spent the time in the company of cowherd boys and girls, tending cows in the pastures. In the evening, he sang and he played on his flute. He danced with the cowherd girls. The attraction of Krishna was simply irresistible. I think the word Krishna is derived from a root which means to attract. When Krishna played on his flute on the banks of the Jumna, the cowherd girls left behind all their household duties and ran to Krishna. It was the call of the Absolute. It was the call of God. And coward girls, as I said, left their home and heart and household duties and they sang and danced together. The coward girls, called the gopis, they and Krishna sang and danced together. Their mutual love simply cannot be described by words. Remember that he was only seven years old at that time. So there was no trace of worldliness, any physical touch in this love of Krishna and the gopis. Though the whole thing has been described in a sensuous language. Well, I shall come to that point later on. Now, if you read the gospel, you'll find many songs describe the meeting of Krishna and the gopis. So these are delightful years for Sri Krishna and his playmates. Their love episodes, as I said, are remembered and reenacted even now by millions and millions of Hindus. Now Krishna was 12 years old. And Kongsha, when Kongsha, his uncle, that wicked uncle found, all efforts to destroy Krishna had failed. So he used a ruse to bring him to Mathura, only seven miles from Vrindavan, and destroy him there. So Krishna was invited to a royal sacrifice, which was going to be performed by his uncle with appropriate games and feats of strength. There will be wrestlers, there will be athletes, so on and so forth. Krishna, dressed in a royal garb, because in his blood also, in his vein also flowed the royal blood, so he just dressed in the royal garment and he came to that 
arena where the sacrifice was going to be performed. And the eyes of all people, the nobles, the officers, the invited guests, all eyes were fixed on him. It was exquisitely beautiful. He did not, had not seen his royal his own parents since the time of his birth because he was taken away. And his parents also were present. And for the first time, they saw their beloved child. When Krishna entered that place, all the eyes were fixed on him and different emotions were aroused in the people's mind as they looked on Sri Krishna. There's a most beautiful verse in the Bhagavatam which describes the feelings that were aroused when they looked at Krishna. There were mighty warriors at that meeting, at that conference, and they saw in him a death-dealing thunderbolt. The women they beheld in him God of love and exquisite beauty. And the sages, holy men, they regarded him as the Supreme Lord and his foster parents under whom he grew. They saw in him the covered boy of Vrindavan and his real parents saw in him that beloved child and Kongsha, the wicked king, when he looked at him, he saw his veritable death. So the same person, you can just visualize, same person was seen in different light by different people according to their inner growth or insight. It reminds one of what St. Paul said, he was all things to all men. In Hindu tradition, I often tell you of a gem. It is a mythical gem called Chintamoni, wish-fulfilling gem. If you hold that gem in front of you, whatever thought comes to your mind, you will see that thought reflected in that gem. So there was a wrestling match, well-known wrestlers challenged Krishna, and Krishna, the twinkle of an eye, this 12 years boy, destroyed them all. And then Kongsha, himself challenged. He was a mighty warrior and Krishna killed him, just like that. Kongsha was killed and Krishna gave his kingdom to Kongsha's father. Now we come to the next phase of Krishna's life. Well, the complex national life of India summoned Krishna to new activities. He was invited by kings and emperors to advise them in their diplomacy, war, peace, and statecraft, to guide them about dharma. Krishna became intensely active, moving from one prince to another, from one capital to another, always advising, you know, the leaders what to do or what not to do. But though he was intensely active, he was never involved in action. A part of his mind seemed to be fixed on something else, on a far-off region, not of this world. You see, very, very cleverly, the author 
gives to the life of Krishna the entire teachings of Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita teaches that the secret of action, what? Non-activity, inactivity. Though you are intensely active, at the same time you should be inactive. So he was the personification of the teachings of Bhagavad Gita. He worked tirelessly. At one place Bhagavad Gita said that if I do not, the Lord says, if I do not engage in action, then the whole world will come to an end. People will follow my inertia. The society will be destroyed. He was never attached to action. And this is very beautifully described in the Bhagavatam. He was never attached to action because he regarded himself as a detached witness. He regarded the world and its movement as a dream unfolding at the bidding of a higher power. He regarded himself as a mere spectator of this drama that is unfolding in the world. He never actually interfered with any person, with anybody's thought or anybody's action. He never imposed his will upon others. You remember when the Bhagavad Gita ends, Krishna says to Arjuna, I have told you what I consider to be right. Now you are free to choose your own path. Do whatever you like. I have given you the whole teaching. Krishna's very presence revealed to the people what was right, what was wrong. But Krishna left it to the individual to decide what he should do or what he should not do. It is a very suggestive thing, it is very important to have said to you, that his very presence would reveal to people what is right, what is wrong. But he would not force you, you see, to do this or not to do that. I suppose that many of us feel at the time of intense prayer and meditation. We think of God, we have a problem, and we feel a revelation that this is right, this is wrong, if you follow the right, this will happen, if you follow the wrong, that will happen. Yours is to make the decision. I reveal to you, the presence of the Godhead or communion with the Godhead reveals to you what is right, what is wrong. But the decision is entirely yours. Don't you see? So, Krishna permitted events to take their place, to make their take their own shape. He always strove to aid the course of destiny, even though that destiny might lead to the self-destruction of everything. It's difficult to, to follow it, I suppose. The destiny might destroy the whole thing, world war, big events. Well, if that be the destiny, like that will happen. God will not interfere. But God will say that you have created your own destiny by your evil action. You will be destroyed. I can't help it. I can't help it. Many people say, well, why is not God stopping this one or that one? It is so powerful. But that's not God's function. God's function is to see. You know what is right, what is wrong, but what you will do 
that is up to you i suppose that is how divine will operates in the world now next phase of krishna's life we see him in the battlefield of kurukshetra well you know the story i would not take your time in this by telling you the story of bhagavad gita now bhagavad gita is a book of great synthesis though it is a book which teaches the discipline of action but it also combines with the discipline of action the discipline of blood discipline of knowledge and discipline of meditation and concentration anyhow so arjuna was depressed as you know krishna asked him to fight and the battle took place and at the end all the people manhood of india in that battlefield of kurukshetra manhood of india all were dead the five brothers arjuna and his other four brothers they were victorious all children children became orphans women became widows so on and so forth but in that battlefield though this is the greatest civil war i suppose in world history because two sides were first cousins related by tie of blood but all were destroyed except in the five brothers and one little child but from that battlefield you have to remember was delivered the message of bhagavad gita which reconstructed the indian culture and preserved it for 2000 years who knows what will come out of the present turmoil perhaps when this turmoil is over when dust and smoke settle down perhaps we shall again get a message from god well something will happen anyhow bhagavad gita is a scripture of selfless activity through the performance of which you realize ultimately the highest good and attain liberation we have conducted that class you read bhagavad gita i would not spend time then we come to the bhagavatam there krishna is a teacher of love those who follow the path of love their highest ideal is the personal god and they show they cultivate an intense love for god intense yearning from god for god a love that is free from all traces of fear fear of punishment in hell or after life or you word it is called love for love's sake we generally love physical objects but at highest stage of evolution we get disillusioned about this worldly love and then we direct our love towards god it is the same love who is the saints or mystics show to god same love which worldly people show to their friends relatives wives and children same love but coming through different channels and the love is distorted by the channel through which it flows now when we love our friends and relatives our love is flowing through a physical channel so there is disappointment suffering uh, of this love but when we love god 
that is the love of the spirit for the spirit and the beauty of god they say is so exquisite there's a song in bengal that when you behold that beauty of god koti chandra koti surya koti madana hare when you look at that beauty of god's face behold god's beauty millions of suns millions of moons they all fade into insignificance now you see the glow on in the evening then you see the stars the glow on fades then you see the moon the stars fade away then the sun rises everything fades away so when that love of god is awakened in our heart all other forms of attraction fade away now there are two elements in love of devotees for god first intensity you know how sri krishna wept how he spent night without sleep how he went without food how he shunned the world because of that intense love and yearning for god and then the second element is complete self sacrifice when that love is awakened while we renounce our ties to our family to the society to the world now as i said before the gopis when the heart krishna's flute ah that touched that chord in their heart that love was awakened they ran away from family from household duties from the relatives they ran away to just hear spell mount krishna's song which all look at his face well now sri ramakrishna himself loved all those songs you find them in the gospel now there are stages in the development of divine love the first stage is called shanta it is a sort of placid love the scriptures of devotion do not pay much emphasis to this kind of placid love which you call in this kind of what a sort of platonic love there are no ups and downs there's no ebb tide flow tide it is just smooth flowing current well the devotees of krishna that sect does not recognize that love is very important because in love there must be this ebb tide and flow tide it must be tremendously romantic thing well anyhow so come to the first form of love manifestation it is the attitude the devotee regards himself as servant and god is master and here the servant loves the master with all his heart and soul willing to sacrifice his own life for the gratification of the master and the ideal of that love in hindu tradition is hanuman the monkey chief who was about to lay down his life to please his master rama then we come to the next development of love it is called the shoikha to love god as a beloved friend the whole idea is through these different stages of love the barrier between man and god is gradually broken down now in the relationship between servant and the master there is a barrier servant is willing to make any kind of sacrifice for the master but still he is afraid of his master then comes the relationship of friend towards friend and the best example we give is the relationship between krishna and arjuna they were friends complete confidence between them 
one soul with two bodies as it were. Arjuna was shown the universal form in the battlefield. And he said, no, I don't care for it. I don't want to see your power and majesty. I want you as a friend. We played together, we ate together, we danced together. I like to see you as a friend. So barrier is breaking down. Well, then comes the next relationship. You regard God as your own child. Love becomes more intimate. Well, I suppose the Catholics will not find it very difficult to understand. You have the concept of bambino in Catholic religion. In Hindu religion, we have the concept of baby Krishna. There are many, many devotees in India. They regard Krishna as the child. They cook for him, they feed him, they put him to bed. That's a very sweet, intimate relationship. The next relationship, which is deeper, the love of a woman for a sweetheart. The gopis showed that love for Krishna, the coward girls. Now, in this love, all barriers are broken down. When the gopis heard Krishna's flute, they could not stay home. They disregarded the threats of their husbands and relatives. They disregarded the criticism of the society. They ran to Krishna. And he was seven years old, you have to remember. Now, you see, when that love develops, then devotee can enforce his demand upon God. Suppose a woman, she left her home, left her husband, left her children to pursue her sweetheart. And when she meets her sweetheart, she can certainly say that I have renounced everything for your sake. I have renounced my home, my children, society, everything I have renounced. Now, won't you fulfill my desire? So a devotee of God also can say when that love is aroused, that I have renounced everything in the world for your sake, you shall have to fulfill my desire. So you see, as the culmination of this intense love, the devotee and God are united. The devotee forgets the world. He forgets the God is all-powerful, majestic. There are two spirits. It is said in a song that at that time, the devotee says, I don't know whether I'm a woman. I don't know whether you're a man even. It is just a meeting of the spirit with the spirit. As it is said in the Upanishad, Jatha priyaya striya samparishaktana vaihaṁ kinchana vedanantaram When a man embraces his beloved wife, they do not know, neither the man nor the wife know anything of the outside world. They don't even think of themselves, just that united in love. So you see, so personal God here, is transformed into impersonal reality. This is the culmination of the path of devotion. The devotee forgets himself, completely merges in God, impersonal reality. Here you see dualism merges into non-dualism. So when it comes down to normal plane of consciousness from that deep samadhi, he sees that God 
everywhere, in everything. His whole character, his whole outlook of life, his whole attitude has been changed. He is nothing but beauty, nothing but love in this world. I believe, but in the presence of such a man, all rudeness, all harshness, all hostility cease. Such a man is a blessing to the society. I suppose a man like that is necessary today when we are being swept away by this well, all-destroying hatred, fear and suspicion. Now, such a man alone, even with a little spark of that light, love, can help humanity. Now, just I'll speak for one or two minutes. Now, what I described about Krishna's life, it is a myth, perhaps. Of course, the name of Krishna has been mentioned in the Upanishad. name of Krishna has been mentioned in the Vedas even. But all the stories of his love for the gopis and so on and so forth, they, well, they are not historical. But it does not matter. It does not matter. Now, it is true that these, you see, feelings and emotions were experienced by saints in Indian history many, many times. People relieved the life of Krishna, Miravai, Chaitanya. They transformed themselves into Krishna. And in our own time, Ramakrishna, when he meditated on Krishna, he completely transformed himself into Krishna. So it does not matter whether Krishna or Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavatam is a historical person or not, it does not matter in the least. But we see living people acting like Krishna, thinking like Krishna, behaving like Krishna, so there is a Krishna, as you see in Christian tradition. Now, St. Francis, he showed stigmata. Well, for that time, he was just Christ hanging from the cross. So whether Krishna is a historical person or not, that does not enter into the minds of the Hindus. We know this much, that his life has been relieved, has all these things have been reenacted from time to time, by the devotees of Krishna. Therefore, Krishna has played a very important part in creating and preserving the Indian culture, spiritual culture of India, and his two great contributions to thought currents of Indian people, Hindu people, the two great, you know, currents, the discipline of unselfish activity and discipline of divine love. Do Shanti Ranta Viksham Shanti Prithivi Shanti Rapa Shanti Oshadaya Shanti Banaspati Shanti Vishya Deva Shanti Sarvam Shanti Brahma Shanti Shanti Deva Shanti Om Shanti 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 Peace be unto earth Peace be unto heaven, peace be unto interspaces, peace be unto day and night, peace be unto plants and herbs, 
peace be unto fire, water and other elements, peace be unto men, peace be unto angels, peace be unto God, peace be unto all, peace be unto peace, 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 peace be unto us and to all living beings.